0: So, Acts 13, beginning at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So lots going on in this little passage of Scripture. It's actually one of the really important little stories that we get in the Bible, for this is one of the first real places where you see them directly address people that aren't Jewish. They recognize that these people, that the Jews have thrust aside what he says is the truth, thrust aside eternal life. And instead, he's going to take this message to the Gentiles, to the non Jews. And you can see, especially in the early verses, that this new approach was vastly successful. It tells us that he had virtually the whole city there, eaten, really out of Paul's hands. Everyone who was anyone was there to hear this message. I mean, can you imagine that? Almost a whole city gathered. And they weren't gathered to watch a football match. They weren't gathered to go and see One Direction. They weren't gathered to go to the new Star Wars film. The whole city, virtually the whole city, was there to hear the gospel. And yet, in this, we still see the beginnings of jealousy. As the Jews, when they see that virtually the whole city was there, this quickly puts them on a path to hostility. And they start to challenge Paul and Barnabas. And of course, Paul being Paul, he has none of it. Tells them exactly what he thinks of their approach. And then turns and begins his message to the Gentiles. And the the verses tell us, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. These people were once people that thought of themselves as those who couldn't access God. From anything that they would have understood from Jewish custom, they were to stay away. The temple was designed in such a way that Jews could get to the central areas. They couldn't go into the holiest of holies. They could certainly get into the key areas. Gentiles couldn't. They had to make do in the marketplace. And on all that chaos that Jesus very quickly cleared out, that was where the Gentiles would have been. They wouldn't have gotten into the further parts. There was this communication that for anyone that believed that the God of the Jews was the true and living God, well, tough. You can't get that kind of intimacy with them yet paul comes with a very different message a message that someone called jesus christ who died and rose again offers everyone freedom from sin and reconciliation with god and this brings them joy joy because they can experience salvation they can come to know god and it doesn't just give them joy They also start telling people about it as well. It says that the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. So this was spreading like wildfire. As people came to hear the good news and then tell other people about it. Good news kind of has a habit of doing that really, doesn't it? It spreads. I'm not so sure if bad news or good news spreads faster. But good news does spread. We tell people about things. We share that which we see is good. It was spreading. And I wonder, as I was reflecting on this, could you imagine it happening in Ellen? This is a growing town. They're always putting new houses up somewhere. Although it's kind of slowed down a bit now. But there wouldn't be a hall big enough to fit everyone in Ellen if virtually everyone in the town, decided to come and hear about the gospel. We'd have to go to a park. Would we even fit in a park? I'm not so sure. Because you imagine the scene. And then it's spreading throughout the region as people hear the good news. One of the things that I began to ponder at that point is, what do we tell folk? And is it good news? Here Paul came proclaiming a message of freedom and forgiveness. What do we tell folk? What is the gospel that we share with those around us? Is it actually? Because all gospel means is good news in Greek. That's what it is. It is what we tell folk, good news. That, the, that God... The creator and sustainer of all things. As Stanley prayed earlier, the God that created that which we see in the heavens. I, when I went to visit some folks earlier on in the week, I was in pitch blackness, which I found actually quite unsettling. One of the amazing things was I looked up at the sky, and because there was no light pollution, you could just see so much. And it was astounding. Our God, he made that. And this God which made and sustains all things is reaching out to people and reaching out not for them to have to do X, Y and Z and be perfect to be reconciled with him but reaching out, offering them his son saying place your faith in him and be reconciled. It's good news. I mean, even when you think about the language we use, even and it's in these verses as well, the word sin, what do people think about when we use that word now? It's a tool of measurement on a diet. I know that much, but what else do people think about when we use language like that? And how do we get the good news of Scripture across? Not just 2,000 years, but across all the the jargon that we ourselves understand and use. So that they actually understand that there's something that they do actually need to be released from. And this something that we call sin, and the Bible calls sin, is something that is horrific. It enslaves them. It pulls them from God. And makes them hostile. Mars that which God made. And molds us into something we were never ever meant to be. That's what we're up against. How do we communicate the good news? In these verses, we see it in the most remarkable way. You could only really define this as a revival. The whole city was there to hear the word of God and received it with amazing joy. Yet there's something else going on in these verses. I don't think I told you, but point one was called breakthrough. There you go. Point two is called poison. We see in these verses, sin present. The Jews, when they see the success of the gospel, quickly become jealous. They try first to confront directly Paul and Barnabas, and that falls flat on its face. They do not succeed there at all. They look around, they see the Gentiles that they're trying to stop hearing the message, now celebrating the message that they're trying to stop. So they change their strategy. Instead, they decide they're going to try and get the ears of the powerful folks of the city. Now, Grickford doesn't actually tell us what they said to these people. But I would imagine that their strategy would have had two key strands to it. One, to cast doubt over the character of Paul and Barnabas. And we know this is a strategy they use because this is one that Paul would often mention and challenge and sometimes actually mock and two, to cast doubt over the message that they were sharing. The Bible has a word for this kind of strategy. It calls it slander. When a person's character is attacked and we see in these verses just how remarkably effective such methods actually are to see such a massive change in just a few short verses is quite remarkable you go from the whole city literally eating out Paul's hand people rejoicing the message spreading to words getting dropped in people's ears and filtering down to their hearts and before long these very same people are driving them from the city how remarkable is that from one extreme to the other we see it happen in these verses what a tragic change this is it's this method that the Jews decide to use is so unbelievably effective. And it kind of confirms what Scripture says, really. That there is power in words. Jesus speaks about the power in words. Paul speaks about the power in words. James speaks about the power of words. Proverbs is filled with stuff about the power Of words. And here we see the power of words. Ironically, we see it in both senses. Scripture talks about the power of words can both bring life or death, it can build up and it can crush. We all know that to be true because we'll have experienced both at various times in our lives. And we see both. In these verses, firstly, words bringing good news that produces life as the gospel goes forward and people hear it, respond to it, and turn to Jesus Christ. And then we see words bringing doubt, creating distrust, and ultimately persecution and hate. We see both in these verses. Both. There is a power in words. Great power in them. And we're all given the words of eternal life to share with others. And we're continually warned in Scripture about how we use our words. One of the things I think we need to take from verses such as these is we need to ensure We don't ever fall into the trap of using these kind of mechanisms on others. You know, I can pretty much guarantee that unless the other person is discerning, if we use the mechanism of slander, it will probably be effective. It will probably do that which we want it to do. But it will certainly not do anything that God is desiring For his church, we need to watch the words that we use and what we say to others. But equally, and sometimes even more importantly, we need to watch what we listen to. Watch what people are dropping into our ears that's going to filter down into our hearts. Because one of the things about these kind of mechanisms and about slander is that it creates doubt suspicion distrust and we start to question whether what we've heard is true and maybe even start to look at other people differently we see the power of it in these verses people who were rejoicing over the gospel suddenly launching these people out. So there is poison with which we all need to be weary of. But there is something else in these verses as well. And this is the final thing, and that is that God wins. One of the things that just drop gently. In fact, not gently, like a brick really into these verses. It's this little phrase. And, those, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And that's verse 48. This is one of these verses that would normally make a preacher lose sleep. Because it's one of these places where you're having to tackle dreaded themes such as predestination. But what it's communicating here is that those who God was reaching out to believed. The gospel didn't fail. It didn't fail. Those who were appointed to eternal life at that time believed God's purpose was achieved despite the behaviour of others. That phrase is also likely put in there to actually communicate. Because here is a place where scripture is taking a swerve. And this message that was going out primarily to Jews is now going to Gentiles. So to dropping a phrase like those who were appointed to eternal life believed is communicating that these people are chosen, they are God's people. They are not second class, they are chosen, the same as any Jew would consider themselves before God. The poison, as difficult as it may have been, and as frustrating as it may have been, ultimately didn't stop the plans and purposes of God for that town at that time. The message went forward. And the same is true now. Same is true in God's church throughout the world. There are different people and different personalities, different things going on, but God will ultimately achieve his purpose and his will with his church. He might make it a little, little bit more tricky for him at times but he will succeed in that which he intends to do because he's God and he's much much cleverer than we are and able to use all things for his plans and purposes so even if we find ok maybe I've said this or the next thing and I shouldn't have said that God will still be at work and still will achieve his purposes Yet we see here actually that action can draw lines. <coughs> those who continue in grace and those who oppose it. The disciples naturally continue in grace, and actually, remarkably, despite this bizarre change in their reception, verse, it ends with verse 52, which says they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, and off they went. They weren't downhearted. <laughs> by this bizarre uh, playing of events that happened. They went on. But what we do see is almost sides: those continuing grace and those that learn to oppose it. And they learn to oppose it because they've got this doubt, this distrust and this hostility towards those proclaiming it. Such the danger of things like slander, of speaking negative things about one another. I always remember when I first started as a carer, I was probably a better Christian then than what I am at times now. And I remember going up to one of the units because this lady had asked for help. So up I went and I helped her. I can't remember what it was for. And then she decided she was going to go on a rant about how much she hated her colleagues. And I kind of thought to myself at this point, well, I don't need to stand here and listen to this. I can be down doing something in the other unit. So I okay, right, goodbye. And see the havoc that caused. But my reasoning for doing that was actually, I don't want to hear what you're going to tell me about these folks. I don't know them. I think I'd only been there about a week at that time. And I knew that by listening... I would, make, I would draw conclusions, some of which would very likely not be true. Now, I wish that wisdom was something that was consistent in my life, but it's not. But for all of us, we need to be weary of what we listen to. And actually, sometimes we need to be bold as well. As folks say something and we think, Hold on, that doesn't seem right the other person find out if it's true or not most of the times there's two sides to pretty much any story what do we see here we see the gospel going forward we see it received with joy we see effective weapons that cast doubt over the integrity of others deployed and just how effective they actually are And we've got to see that, recognize that, and ensure that we don't fall into similar traps. But yet, even in the midst of all that, there is hope. Because God wins. He works. He maneuvers things. He's ahead of us anyway. And he achieves his plans and purposes for his church and for his people. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you first and above all for the gospel, that good news of freedom from sin in Christ Jesus. Help us as we try to live out that life of freedom, but also speak with those around us who may not even understand the language that we're using to try and communicate this life of freedom that we have in Jesus. Help us. Help us to know how to do that. And Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Lord, help us to be aware of what we say, but also aware of what we listen to. But above all, fill us with faith, because we know that you win, that you achieve your purposes, and that you're always at work. Building your church, expanding your kingdom, and drawing in the lost. So use us to do these things and to be in line with your will. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We to stand to sing our closing song, which is "Jesus, All for Jesus."